Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, church. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. You can go and open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. We'll be verses 1 through 24. And this is what the Word has prepared for us today. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he is seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, Then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, Where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Some were saying, He's a good man. Others were saying, No. On the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and said, How is this man so well, uh, so well learned, since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who is speaking on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Does Moses give you the law? Yet you can't keep his law. Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision. Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken... Are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, brother. So if you didn't get your Bibles open yet, uh, one of the things that we do here is we walk through verse by verse uh, the passage. So I'd love for you to join me in the text in John chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible, don't leave here today without one. We have tons of them that are for free, so uh, there's no cost involved there. Uh, Today is a very special day for a few reasons. Uh, One reason is uh, my wife has turned 33 today. Um, she She is Jesus old. Um, 33, and so we celebrate that. You know what else is today? The World Cup starts today. 
I don't, uh, I don't follow football or basketball or even baseball much, but the rest of the world follows the World Cup, and, uh, and I do too. I, I try to, at least. So Qatar kicks off today. Actually, they've already kicked off. So anyways, birthday and World Cup. What a great day. Uh, not only that, we get to be here together. We get to be the church together. We get to study God's Word together. And so uh, I will say just we've had a crazy few weeks, though, in the past, haven't we? The last few weeks have been pretty intense. Uh, a few weeks ago, we welcomed in 17 new members to our membership, which, praise God, well, yeah. Uh, and then last week, we celebrated 85 years of life and ministry in this church body. Now, I've only been here for two of them, so I can't boast or brag, and neither do we. We don't boast or brag because God has done the work. Now, last week was a pretty long week. We had our gathering and celebration in the morning. We had a big fellowship feast down there, and then we had a membership meeting where some decently big things were decided upon about how to structure the leadership of our church and maybe modifying the mission statement of our church, which will be rolling out in January. Uh, so we're getting things prepped for that. But we also had a guest speaker last Sunday uh, who had no ties to this church. So uh, we're, you're welcome. Uh, but he was one of my, he's one of my best friends. I, apparently, I've got like 500 best friends, and he's one of them. And uh, he came and he preached God's word. He continued on in the gospel of John, and he challenged us according to the passage. And this Sunday, uh, including his Sunday last week, this Sunday marks 30 weeks in the gospel of John. It marks 30 weeks in the Gospel of John in this series, and, and we're just now getting into chapter 7, right? So we've got uh, another year, at least, of walking through the Gospel of John, but I think the sections are going to start getting larger and larger as we preach through this uh, together, as we study through this together. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about where we're heading. Uh, this is the last Sunday for this year that we're in the Gospel of John. Next year, or next week, starts Advent which isn't that like insane, like Advent 2022 is next week, starts next week. So we're going to be starting a new sermon series for Advent called God With Us, and it's going to be focusing on the presence of God, it's going to be focusing on intimacy with the Father. And then we're going to have a, another series coming up in January, uh, so please join us for those seasons but in light of us being in this passage, finishing our series in the Gospel of John for this year, uh, let me kind of remember what we did last week, right? What my brother Bapo mentioned last week. You remember that Jesus' teachings started to get a bit difficult, right? He talked about himself being the bread of life, and then he started saying some things that just were cannibalistic to some people, right? He said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the teachings got really, really hard. And then what happened? A bunch of people left. A bunch of people started leaving. Disciples started leaving and stopped following Jesus when the teachings got hard. Right? And so the question or the ultimate challenge from last week, in addition to some of the challenging questions of why do you follow Jesus or why don't you follow Jesus, the, kind of the, 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 the deep down message or the challenge of last week was where do we go whenever the teaching and the teacher gets hard? Where, what do we do when the teacher and the teaching gets tough? When Jesus himself gets tough, right? And, and, and this shouldn't be like shocking, like, oh, the pastor's saying Jesus has some hard sayings, right? No, like if you, you read through the New Testament, you'll come across one. Trust me, you'll, you'll find one. There's some things that Jesus tells us 
that are hard, that are, that are tough for us, right? So, so for example, right, probably I think one of the more relevant ones this day is, is about sexuality, about our sexual intimacy, about the experience of it, right? The hard saying is that that experience is best enjoyed and designed for a marriage covenant relationship between a biological male and a biological female. And that's hard. And, and if, you, if, if, if you've gone through puberty, you know why that's hard, which is 100% of you. He says that that's where it's best enjoyed, and that's a hard thing to, to grasp. It's a hard thing to digest when, in our, when our desires are for all sorts of other things. And he also says that any deviation from that is brokenness. Whether it's outside of marriage, whether it's with other creatures, right? Like all these different things. Some of that can be hard for people. But he also, that, that's just one subject. He talks about money. He talks about going into debt. Uh, he, he, one of the things he does whenever a rich man comes and says, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus, he says, hey, sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. That's a hard saying. That's difficult. Especially for us as, as a, a, a first world nation. Another difficult Topic might be like the marriage roles, right? Some, some people find this a bit difficult when, when the scripture talks about how in the marriage relationship, the husband has particular roles that the wife doesn't, and the wife has particular roles that the husband doesn't, and the two, when they operate in their roles designed by God, they complement one another so well that the marriage flourishes. But for some people, that's hard. And I think one of the chief, most difficult, hard, tough sayings of Jesus is when he talks about what it means to follow him and the cost of it, right? He says, if anybody would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up his cross doesn't mean you put a little pendant around your neck and walk around, hey, I took up my cross. No, it means you're willing to go to the cross, to die to yourself, and, 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 and give up everything about you and live for Christ, that's a hard saying. So what are we supposed to do when the teacher and his teachings get hard? Well, we do what the disciples who stayed faithful to him did. We lean in and we say, hey, I know this is difficult, but I'm gonna trust you. And we remember, we, we, we hold before us the reason why we're following Jesus and why we're willing to lean in when Jesus, the teacher, and his teaching gets hard because we agree with Peter when we say, you alone have the words of life. You're the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? And so that was last week. When the teaching and the teacher are tough. We're leaning in. Now if that's last week, if that's kind of the summary of last week, then, then, then today's passage is designed to encourage you to stay leaning in even when everything else around you gets tough. You see, in the Gospel of John, uh, the author has described several different levels or kinds or species of, of disbelief in Jesus, right? There's a, a kind of disbelief in Jesus that gets really excited about the signs that he does and, and wants him to do more signs, and we've talked about how that's not a legitimate faith. But then there's also the, the other kind of disbelief that, that, that gets threatened by Jesus' signs, they're not excited, they're threatened by them. 
And those have kind of been mentioned here and there. You've seen examples of them maybe in some of the stories. But today's passage, those kinds of disbelief in Jesus are just absolutely overt. They are, they are front and center, full stage, right? And, and, they, and they, 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 they're from different categories of people too, right? We see disbelief from Jesus' own family, from his brothers, right? We see disbelief and confusion among the crowds and how they handle his reputation. We see how the authorities don't believe in him and how they hate him so much that they want to kill him. Like that was the first thing you started off with this morning. Oh, we're reading God's word? Oh, they want to kill Jesus. What? (laughs) That's a great way to begin the passage, right? Chapter seven starts off with showing us how none of these categories of people get Jesus, how, how every one of them misunderstands Jesus. They don't get him. They misunderstand him. They misunderstand his mission and his priorities. And so well, one of the things that I can tell you is going to happen today, uh, the, one of the ways that this passage encouraged my heart and the way that I believe it's going to encourage us as we walk through it is that this is what's going to be okay with you. It's okay to be misunderstood. Can you let that, like, can you swallow that for a second and let it marinate? Like, it's, it's actually okay for you to have people misunderstand you. Like, it's okay. It's really fine. It's, it's okay for people to not get you sometimes. That's going to happen. Now, I want to be careful when I say that, right? I want to be careful because, yeah, sure, that's a cute little thing in general, right? But, like, so, but, but I'm not talking about like you having a hobby of collecting stamps, right? Like, sure, I might not understand that and why you find that so fun, but, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about it's okay to be misunderstood for your affinity for collecting essential oils. Or, or, or maybe, like, I'm not talking about how it's okay for you to be misunderstood for, like, binge-watching videos of knives cutting through, uh, like, sand, right? Like, how you just do that all the time, right? Like, like, sure, you might not, I might not get that about you. I might not understand about why you like those things. But that's not what I mean when I say it's okay to be misunderstood. What I'm dealing with today, particularly is that it's okay to be misunderstood in those parts of your lives that identify with and imitate Jesus. It's absolutely okay. And today, I want to encourage you, and I believe God's word will encourage you, that it's okay to be misunderstood for following Jesus and being 100% sold out for him. Whether your family doesn't get you, whether the crowds talk about you, or whether your boss or any authority over you just doesn't like you. And why is all of this? Because Jesus himself was first misunderstood. He knows exactly what it's like to not be understood, to be misunderstood. And and he was still completely committed to his father's mission despite all of it, regardless of the cost on the table. And so that's how I want to introduce the text and, and and you're like, man, that took forever. Let's, let's get in real quick. So let me kind of remember, recall where we're at. Remember, Jesus just fed the 5,000 plus with a Lunchable. He walked on water. He goes over to Capernaum, and he starts talking about himself as the bread of life. He says things that make people uncomfortable. A lot of people leave. Remember, all of that happened in around the Passover festival. And the Passover festival is celebrated in the first month of the year. 
Keep that in mind because when we get to verse one, after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee. Right? So after this doesn't give us a timeline, but we'll, we'll know it in just a minute. But he's still staying in the region of Galilee, which isn't Judea, right? Judea was, uh, was, was closer to the capital of Jerusalem. Galilee was a region for the, almost the Gentiles, right? But he was doing a lot of his works among there. Doing, and he, he kept avoiding the region of Judea. Why? Why do you avoid? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to take his life. You remember why they wanted to take his life? If you can remember John chapter five, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. (gasps) He healed a man on a Sabbath and and then he said, well, me and my father are always working and they hated him for saying that and doing that and they wanted to kill him for that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the passage. But this is where the conflict starts arising. This is where they first really started to want to, to kill Jesus. And so that's why he's staying in Galilee. He doesn't go near Jerusalem or into the region of Judea. And then, and then we get a timeline point. In verse two, it says that the festival of shelters was near. The Jewish festival or Jewish feast of tabernacles or booths, your passage or your translation might call it. Remember, Passover was in the first month. This is a, another festival of uh, one of the main three ones. Uh, and it was held in the seventh month. And it was a national festival. So we're about six months after chapter six, right? And so it's a, he's been in Galilee ministering for about six months. And then this festival comes up. And it's this eight-day celebration for the whole nation, Right, that's commanded in the Old Testament law. You can look back to Leviticus chapter 23 for its command. And what would happen is almost all the nation of Jerusalem or, or Israel would flock to Jerusalem and they would come together to celebrate if they could make the trip. And the first and the eighth days were Sabbath days. And so no one would work on those days. And throughout the whole week in between, there would be sacrifices made. But one of the big key things about this whole festival was that everyone, when they got to where they were going, would make their own tent. They would make their own shelter, sometimes of limbs and leaves, right? And they would live in those tents the whole week as a whole nation. And they would do this they would build these tents or shelters or booths on their, on their rooftops because they all had flat rooftops usually or, or they made them in their courtyards and they would do this to specifically remember the time that Israel spent wandering in the wilderness living in tents. Guys, this wasn't meant to be like a throw it in your face, remember how terrible things were. This was meant to be an incredibly joyful occasion for the whole nation because here they are sitting in these little tents surrounded by a city on the land that they now possess. Because remember, back then they didn't have land and they didn't have homes. And here they are and they're celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness for giving them a land and giving them homes. That's an incredible object lesson for kids and families, isn't it? I dare you, parents, go ahead and make your own shelters and live in it for a week with your kids and remember God's faithfulness. That's a cool object lesson. But here's the thing. Because it was a festival commanded in the Old Testament, it was part of the law, which meant like to, 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 to be in obedience to God meant you celebrate this law. It was commanded from God. And, and so what happens is massive, massive amounts of Jews start gathering into the city of Jerusalem. And this is why Jesus' brothers say what they say. This is where it comes in. You see them? Verse three, so his brothers said to Jesus, 
Leave here, leave Galilee, right? And go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking what? Public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Pause there. Don't you dare read further. Give me a second. At first glance, it's like, man, they really like this guy. They like Jesus. They want his name to be known. They want, to, they want Jesus to expand the reach of his ministry, right? Well, that's not the case at all. Look at verse 5. John puts it in parentheses as a subtext, as a comment. For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. That's supposed to be shocking. You see, Jesus' own family didn't believe in him when he was doing his ministry. There's debates about Mama Mary, right? But, but the rest of his brothers, we know, didn't believe in him. In fact, you remember in Mark chapter 3, his family comes to him, and they tr- they, it literally says they try to collect him to commit him, in a sense. Like, they think he's insane. They don't believe him. They actually start believing Jesus after his resurrection, according to the book of Acts. James, one of Jesus' brothers, becomes one of the most prominent figures in the early church after the resurrection. But before it, they, wanted, they, they, they didn't believe in him. So, so really, we could take their comments in two ways, right? Uh, in summary, right? One way could be that they are just scorning and mocking him, just open in open hostility to him, right? They, they're telling Jesus to go to a region that I think most generally people knew that they wanted to kill Jesus. It's possible that they were saying, hey, go to that place. Go, go, make your, make, go to that place where people want to kill you and make your name great so they'll find you, right? Now, then some toxic relationships, if that's, if that's what they're actually doing, Right? But I, I, don't think that's exa- I don't think that's the likely way. I think the more likely way to interpret what they're doing is, is that they're believing Jesus with the same kind of sign-only belief that John has mentioned several times throughout the Gospel of John that has been condemned, that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to. They're not believing him with a, a genuine faith belief that, that believes him even when they don't see the signs, Right? But they're believing him in a kind of sign-needing faith, a sign-requiring faith. So like they're saying, hey, there's this national festival going on. That'd be a great time for you to go up and do some of your tricks, right? And see if you can build your following. It sounds like they're giving him Twitter advice, right? If, if, like if a public figure actually wants to do any advancing in the public square, he's got to make an impact on the capital. You can't just be traveling out here in Galilee as a country bumpkin prophet, right? You got to go and make and own the capital of the nation. Show yourself to the world. That's what they say. You know, what's odd is that in the Gospel of John, the world is precisely that which cannot receive him without ceasing to be the world. Because you remember, the world didn't recognize Jesus according to John 1. It hated Jesus because he's the light. It rejects Jesus. It didn't believe in Jesus, which is why Jesus says his brothers are of the world. You know, one commentator said that, that the, the brother's advice shared a lot of similarities to Satan's temptation for Jesus to show off his messiahship by casting himself off of the temple pinnacle so that the world would know. You see, there's one thing that 
they miscalculated about Jesus. They miscalculated what his motives were. They made an assumption. What did it say? For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking what? Public recognition. This is what they don't understand about him. This is, this is what they don't get about him. They think that his motives are so that he can build up his own name. I mean, guys, they, they've known this guy, this Jesus, their whole lives. They grew up with him, didn't they? Like, they, they know that he's perfect. They know he doesn't do anything wrong. They tried to blame him for wrong, and Mary and Joseph are like, come on, seriously, James? We, this is the son of God. Right? Nice try. You can't blame him for that. We know it was you, right? And they know all of this about him, and still, after 20, 30 years of life with him, they don't understand him. They don't comprehend his mission. They don't apprehend his agenda. The timetable that Jesus is operating on, they still don't get. Like Jesus' own family doesn't understand him. They, they, they don't know what his mission is. They don't know just how committed to that mission he is either. And so Jesus responds to them. Look at verse six. He just says, starts off, he says, my time has not arrived yet. My time has not yet arrived. We, we know Jesus says this often in reference to that time when, when he is most glorified and that's when he's nailed to a cross. He's lifted up and nailed to a cross and that's the, the pinnacle of his glorification on earth and we know that there's going to be a time where he does go to Jerusalem and he rides in on a donkey and there's going to be crowds there shouting praises and singing Hosanna and 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 that week culminates in him ending on the cross but that isn't this time so he's not going to go to the festival under their counsel to do what they think he needs to do one of the things he also mentions in this is that he says that he, he, the world hates him because he does what? He calls out their sin. That's not a fun thing to experience. And then finally, he tells them just to go ahead and go up without him. He's not gonna go yet. Right? And so he stays there in Galilee. But here's the thing, for, for Jesus to, to obey all of God's law, right? For, for Jesus to, uh, to fulfill the mission that God has appointed him to, Jesus has to perfectly obey every single part of the law. Because you gotta remember, the, the, the sacrifice of the lamb, the lamb couldn't be blemished. It had to be an unblemished, spotless lamb. In the same way, Jesus cannot have blemish. He cannot sin. He cannot fail to keep the full law. Instead, he does fulfill all of the law. And so one of the things that he does is he still goes. He still observes this festival. Look at verse 10. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. Do you realize that, that that's part of the cost of following Jesus? Even if there's danger there, he obeys. Even if there are people there seeking to end his life, he still goes even after his family just totally misunderstands him, he still goes up because he's committed to his father's 
mission. And once he gets there, I mean, one of the things that we find out is that, that his family weren't the only ones who were misunderstanding who Jesus is. Look at verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Some were saying, oh, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. In other words, he's like the devil. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Can you hear the gossip? Can you hear the murmuring? People talking about Jesus quietly, not openly. Like this is his reputation among the people, among the crowds. Like, and, and most of us are kind of paranoid. Some of us kind of walk into a room and we're paranoid that because it gets quiet, we think that they're talking about us, right? We just kind of carry that, right? Jesus isn't being paranoid in here, right? Jesus is actually saying that this is what they're doing. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about him. Oh, he's a good man. No, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And what does he do? He doesn't run from that environment. He steps into that environment. He goes in, and he doesn't go to, to try to figure out what they think about him. You think he cares? No, he, he goes because he's on assignment from his father. He's got a task to accomplish, and even if the crowds don't understand him, even if they talk about him and murmur about him, even though they question who he is, he stays committed to his father's mission. But how are the crowds supposed to figure out who he is? How, how, how can those sorts of uncertainties be resolved? Well, let Jesus stand up and speak for himself. Do you feel like you have to defend a lion? No, just let it out of the cage. It'll, it'll do its own work. Let Jesus speak for himself. Verse 14 and 15, when the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Now pause there. So he, he doesn't stay in the shadows or in the quiet for too long. No, he's still on mission from his father and he goes to Jerusalem and, he, and, he, and halfway through the festival, somewhere in the middle of the week, he starts to teach. He doesn't start doing signs, he starts to teach. And his teaching is so deep, it's so rich, it's so transformative that the Jewish leaders and the authorities who want to kill him can't understand him. They don't get him. It says what? That they were what? They were amazed. They were amazed. That word isn't like necessarily in awe. It means that they were puzzled. They were like discombobulated by this guy. Like sure, any Jewish man could pick up the, the Old Testament scripture of the Old Testament and he could probably tell a little bit about it, right? But, but this Jesus guy has surpassed the theological scholarship of even the rabbis. And you know what's crazy is that these Jewish leaders aren't just puzzled by Jesus, they're challenging Jesus when they say what, he said, what they say. 
Subtly, they're saying, well, he wasn't trained in our schools. He wasn't educated in our hallways. He wasn't taught our traditions. He's not accredited by our scholars. And they still just, they don't get Jesus. They don't understand him. They don't understand where his teaching comes from. They don't understand how it's accredited. And they don't understand his motives because they don't understand his mission. So he makes sure they know. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. There's the source. If anyone wants to do his will, that is, the one who sent me, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. There's the accreditation. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. And there is the motive. He notes the source. It's his father who sent him. That's where the teaching comes from. And he, he gives the accreditation. Anybody who actually wants to do the father's will will know that what I'm saying is from the father. And then he states his motive. And do you see what his motive isn't? Public recognition. <laughs> the one who seeks his own glory He who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory. Remember how the brothers thought he wanted public recognition? Here we find out that's not Jesus' mission. Jesus didn't come to glorify himself. He came to glorify his father. So he's on that mission. Even though the authorities are challenging him, even though they're questioning him, even though they hate him, even though they want to kill him. In fact, that very thing, that fact that they want to kill him, he calls out at the end of this passage. He says, hey, you guys say that Moses gave you the law, and if you can remember, the, Mo- the, Moses, the Mosaic law says, hey, thou shalt not murder. Yet why are you trying to kill me, right? He, he ends the passage with that, and they think the crowd actually might not know that, that, that the authorities are wanting to kill Jesus. And they, you got a demon. You're crazy. You're paranoid, boy. You, you, we're not, who's trying to kill you? But then Jesus justifies why he did what he did, right? He justifies why he healed the man on the Sabbath, right? He justifies that, that the Jewish leaders will circumcise a boy that is born and on the eighth day, if that eighth day falls on a Sabbath, they'll still circumcise the boy. They'll do a work of the law. And yet here they are criticizing and hating Jesus because he made a whole man well on the Sabbath. And then he challenges them and says, hmm, you guys need to start judging with righteous judgment. That's how he ends it. But guys, if there's one word to describe this whole passage, verses 1 through 24, it is shocking. It is absolutely shocking, and it's intended to be. The disbelief of the brothers, that's insane, right? The the hatred and the desire to kill the, the only lamb of God, that's scandalous, Guys, if there was ever someone who deserved the acceptance of his countrymen, if there was ever someone who deserved the esteem of his own kinsmen, it'd be Jesus. Out of everyone, he'd be like the best brother. Instead, what does he get? He gets the misunderstanding of his brothers. He gets the confused murmuring of the crowds. 
And he gets the challenges and the rejection from the authorities to the point where they want to end his life. That's shocking. And yet in all of this, what do we see from Jesus? He stays on mission. He stays true to what his father has tasked him to do. He's committed to the mission, even if his family doesn't get him, even if people are talking about him, even if the authorities hate him and want to kill him. He's going to walk in faithful obedience to his father's commands, fulfilling his father's purposes, and staying true to the mission that he's been tasked with. No matter the cost, no matter the misunderstanding, no matter the murmuring, no matter the hostility. Whether it's from family, whether it's from people he doesn't really know or from authorities, he is committed to his mission. This is our Jesus. And if, if you're making any connections, you probably have already come to this realization, but you realize what this means for us. That if, that if as we identify ourselves with him, as we follow him in his footsteps as we join him on mission it means that we're going to be misunderstood too guys at a minimum we will seem strange there will be family members who don't understand us who don't get us who think we're a bit loony. There, there, you, you might have a, a brother or a sister or brothers or sisters who think that your dedication to and faith in Christ are just a bit much, a bit over the top. They might think you're a bit too enthusiastic about your faith in Christ. Or if they're completely the other end, they, they hate you because you follow Jesus. They might not get you. Or maybe some of you are in a marriage where you have a wife or you have a husband who, who just doesn't follow Jesus like you do. They won't get you. They won't understand why you're on your knees at night in devotion to the Lord. They won't understand why you make sacrifices for other people that put you at a loss. They won't understand that. They won't get you. Not only that, but you might have kids, especially you might have some grown kids who are not with Jesus, not following him, and think that your following Jesus is just part of you belonging to a generation that's outdated and irrelevant and should just pass along. As your family might not get you in your following Jesus to the end, no matter where he leads, no matter what he asks you to do, your family might not get you. And didn't Jesus say that he came to divide families? There's another hard saying, by the way, that his teaching, his life would divide families. As heartbreaking as that is, it also is designed to say, well, if it happens, then Jesus told me it was going to happen. 
which means that aligning with Jesus and his mission can mean that my family won't understand me, that my family may not get why I do what I do, and because Jesus has that happen to him, and when I follow him, it means that it's okay. Because Jesus knows what it's like. And when he calls you to follow him, that might just be part of the cost you pay. And it's worth it. Now, if you think that we have it bad, as, a, as American Christians, there are, there are Christians all around the world who, for example, maybe someone who converted out of Islam and converted to following Jesus, and, 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 and in that culture, you know what happens to them? Their family totally ostracizes them. They, they get removed from the will. They get removed from family. They're disowned. Some of them even have them killed. Guys, your family might not get you. But we're committed. We're going to stay on mission with Jesus. Oh, but what about the crowds? What about the people? Well, they might misunderstand you too. People who are of the world, who encounter you and you're so strange that they just start talking. They talk about you. They go, you're, you're waitress. You say that you want to pray for them. How can I pray for you? And they, they say, well, wow, no. And then they go start talking to the chef about you. Look at this weird person who's wanted to pray for me. Jeez. They likely won't understand you. Because they don't share the same culture, they don't share the same values and norms, they don't get your morality, they don't get your lifestyle, they don't get your values or your purpose. They won't understand the way that, that you decide how you're going to work for your boss with integrity, that you're not going to lie and call out sick just so you can do, do something. And you're gonna, you're gonna say that that's wrong when others do it. You know, you, you, they, they won't get, if you manage employees, they, don't, they won't get you and how you care about them and how you value them as a person. If you run your own business, they won't understand how you keep integrity in all that you do with your own business. They might talk about you. They might murmur. They might make fun of you. And if you think that I'm being paranoid... Welcome to just a week in the life of a pastor. It was literally just this week, I was sitting out there in the lobby and an individual from the community, not a part of our church, um, uh, we have been loving on this individual for some time and they questioned, uh, when, 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 we, when they wanted certain things and we weren't willing to give it to them to enable certain behaviors or lifestyles, they immediately started questioning whether or not I love Jesus. And they immediately started saying, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be better than this. And then they also started ridiculing our church. Oh, well, y'all are supposed to be a church. Because we've decided to do things the way that Jesus has said we should do things. And we've started to believe things the way Jesus said we should believe things. The crowds won't get us. We will seem strange. But there will be some people in those crowds who the strangeness turns to beauty. So we'll continue on mission. Especially when we follow Jesus' words and his ways. They won't get us, but it's okay. 
And lastly, there's just a, a really uh, start growing reality of, of the fact that there might be some day where the governing authorities won't get us either. In fact, they probably already don't. They don't understand us. They don't understand our faith. They don't understand our beliefs. And our beliefs and our faith and, and our lifestyles are becoming increasingly marginalized from governing officials. And even that, it's, it's some of the legislation coming into place now marginalizes our beliefs and our values as Christians. And it's going to be possible that one of these days, because of our allegiance to our Christ, that people in authority and with power might hate us and want to kill us. Now, I'm not trying to be paranoid, right? I'm not a, 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 I'm not a person who likes to, to talk about myths or, or conspiracy theories. There's no place for them in my head. I don't spend time thinking about them. But if that day comes, and when that day comes, if it does, we would just be jumping in a really big boat full of other Christians from other nations who have governing authorities over them who despise them so much that they want to kill them for it. Countries like Laos and Sudan and Egypt and North Korea. Like no matter who may misunderstand us, no matter who doesn't get us. The big challenging question that I believe that Jesus exposes to us in his lifestyle and the way that he handled these things in chapter seven is this. Will we commit to his mission even when we're misunderstood? Can we say that together? One, two, three. Will we commit to his mission even when we're misunderstood? Guys, are we going to follow Jesus' example of continued commitment to the mission of the gospel? Will we stay committed to his mission? Guys, because that's how 85 years of life and ministry is going to turn into 150. It's how it's going to turn into 300. Until the creek rises and the Lord tarries. Or if the creek don't rise in the Lord Terry, right? I tried to be funny. That didn't work. Guys, we have to be okay with being misunderstood. We have to be comfortable in that space. Because if we're not, then our allegiance to Jesus will fade. But not only that, if we're willing to be okay with being misunderstood for following Jesus the way that we do in a way that is absolutely radical, sold out for him, even though everything and everyone around us may not understand us, there will always be one who does. And he's enough. Our Jesus knows exactly what it's like. And you know what else? As you follow Jesus and as other people start following Jesus, there's going to be a massive crowd of people who know exactly what it's like too. And you will find family there. Even if your own family doesn't get you. You will find crowds who love Jesus there even if the other crowds don't get you. You will find a good authority who loves you and offered up his life for you even if the other authorities in the world want to hate you and kill you. So it's okay, church. It's really okay. 
to be a dedicated follower of Jesus. Your spouse might not get why your soul sold out. Your family might frown upon you. The crowds might talk about you. But I want to encourage you with a a quote from Robert McShane that I came across this week. He said, Do not fear the frown of the world. When a blind man comes against you in the street, you are not angry at him. You say, He is blind, poor man, or he would not have hurt me. So you may say of the poor worldlings when they speak evil of Christians, they're blind. They don't understand. So let's stay committed to Jesus' mission to the end when he fulfills and accomplishes every part of what he's accomplished to do or aimed to do. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.